If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 15th chapter, the book of Jeremiah, and as we continue our study through the Word. And so you'll remember that Jeremiah is this young prophet. He is called by God to go and to speak forth his truth. And he's called to speak forth his truth in a time when there were false prophets that were declaring the exact opposite of, of what Jeremiah was being called to declare. You remember that King Josiah had come and he had instituted reforms. They had fallen into wicked idolatry. Hezekiah, we see his son now, Manasseh, comes and just turns the nation into, into complete idolatry and turned them away from the Lord. And, and Josiah comes, you'll remember he's young when he takes over the throne and and he begins to institute reforms. He, he sees the temple in disarray. Just They're not worshiping any longer. They're not bringing their sacrifices. No one is, is following the law. And you'll remember that he, he raises money to now have the temple cleaned and furnished and, and make it functional once again. And as they're cleaning out the temple, they come across the, the scroll, the book of the law. They've even been without the law and they bring it, word of it to Josiah and Josiah commands that it be read and they realize how much they have been disobeying God. And Josiah leads the nation into a time of, of cleansing and a time of reform. But the, the changes were more exterior than interior. They weren't really of the heart. And, and while there was the profession now, they, they had the right words, but they didn't have the right heart. And so it was a very temporal reformation that takes place. And, and Jeremiah is called to go and to tell the nation that they need to turn from their way and that God is going to judge them. And, and you remember that the, the northern ten tribes had been taken into captivity by the Assyrians and, and God had protected uh, Jerusalem from the Assyrians. And, and you remember how the Assyrians come right up to the walls and, and they are there declaring that, that their God is no match for their gods. And, and then you remember the angel of the Lord is sent in the night and wipes out the entire army and and God protected in Jerusalem and and they began to believe that the reason that God protected Jerusalem is because of the temple that's God's home I mean God wouldn't let anybody come in and take and mess with his home and so they then began to feel that they were invincible they had no relationship with God, but yet they relied upon God for their safety and their protection. And, and so spiritual pride entered in. They, every man did what was right in their own eyes. They, they were now coming to the temple, but they were still going up into the high hills and offering their worship to the pagan gods as well. And, and now Jeremiah's got a message that there is going to be a... a a power from the north that is going to come in and is going to take the nation into captivity. And, and the prophets are like, false prophet, 
God is gonna protect Jerusalem and God will protect his temple and, and no one will touch what God defends and protects. And, and Jeremiah is saying, God's telling you that he is going to bring the judgment, that, that no one is gonna overcome God. God is gonna be the author that is behind it. And do and you remember last time that we saw that in chapter 14, we saw that there was this, this outward profession, this outward repentance, and, uh, and, but it, wasn't, it, it was not thick. It was not deep. It was not of the heart. And we begin here in this 15th chapter when, when now the Lord is going to kind of respond to that confession that we see found in those verses. And, and so verse 1, chapter 15, Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go. We see here that Jeremiah has been interceding for the people and God has told him not to intercede, that God has made up his mind, that they're, they're, they're not weighing in the balance. They've been weighed and they have now been found short and God is going to bring judgment. And, and we see that that breaks Jeremiah's heart, you know, and Jeremiah hopes that maybe God will change his mind. And, and so now God is ministering to Jeremiah's heart as, as the, the prophecies of destruction upon his people, his countrymen, the city, the temple, all of that is, is a heavy weight for Jeremiah to bear. And, and he's hoping that God will relent. And, and God ministers to Jeremiah by telling to him, even if Moses and Samuel came and interceded, I would not relent. I would not change my mind toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. In verse two, and it shall be if they say to you, where should we go? Then you shall tell them, thus says the Lord, such as are for death to death, and such as are for the sword to the sword, and such as are for the famine to the famine, and such as are for the captivity to the captivity. We See here that, that the people are declaring then, you know, where should we should go? And, and, and God tells Jeremiah, they're going to go where they're appointed to go. Some are going to die by the sword. The Babylonians are going to come in and mercilessly slaughter them. Others are going to die by famine. They are going to siege and, and there is going to be a great famine that is going to happen when the Babylonians come in and lay siege. It says uh, also uh, that some are going to, such as are for death to death, that means by plague, there was great sickness and illness as, the, uh, as starvation began to enter into Jerusalem and great sickness. And then finally there would be some that, uh, that would live through the sword and through the starvation and through the plague, but, but ultimately they are going to be taken into captivity. In verse 3, and I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will hand them over to trouble, 
to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. And so we see that there are four forms of destruction now that are pictured here. There's dogs and birds and wild beasts destroying those who have been slain. And, and so we see the beasts of the earth and, and all. And so the meaning is, is that they're not going to have a burial. In other words, that when the Babylonians come in and destroy them and cut them down, they're going to cut down the people and then they're just going to depart and the bodies will be left uh, all over and there, no one will get a proper burial and, uh, and so just the wild animals uh, here. And he, he gives them the reason why the judgment is going to come upon them. He says it's uh, the sin of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. That was when the line was crossed uh, through the actions uh, of Manasseh. And we see that Manasseh is the grandfather of Josiah. Uh, and we see that he was one of, if not, the worst of all of Judah's kings. He reigned for a long time, 55 years, but he worshiped to idols. He filled Jerusalem with violence and he even sacrificed his own son to the pagan gods. And, and so he led the nation now away from God and into this wicked uh, idolatry. The people started to practice it. And the, the Bible says that a little leaven leavens what? the whole lump, the whole loaf. And, and when there is a wicked king, then the nation will tremble. And, and so because of his influence and his leadership, he leads them not towards God, but away from God, invites all of this idolatry into the land, practices it's, it's himself, sets it as a, an example to the people. And, and so we see here that, that Josiah, now that was his grandfather. And Manasseh so polluted Jerusalem that now that the destruction of Jerusalem was inevitable. Even Josiah's reforms are only going to postpone the certain destruction. In verse 5, we see the heart of God for who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You have gone backward, and therefore I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. And so... Who is going to have pity on you? Who is going to bemoan? Who's going to ask how you are doing? The only one that ever truly cared for Jerusalem was God. And now when Jerusalem is cut down, who, who, who is going to mourn over Jerusalem? He says, there's nobody else that cares, but, but instead of turning to me and being faithful to me who loves you, you have turned to worthless idols. And, he, and God says this, he says, I am weary of relenting. What a tragic line that is. I am weary of your unfaithfulness. 
you come and beg forgiveness and I forgive you and restore you and, and then you are unfaithful again and, and then you return and I receive you my grace and long suffering. I, I, I accept you back and, and we start to move forward and you leave again. And I am tired of relenting. I am tired of going through this cycle of, uh, of departure and, and return back and again. They have gone too far. God is going to allow the punishment now to happen. It's like that parent that does not want to discipline the child, does not want to, them to have that consequence, doesn't want them grounded or doesn't want them to be spanked. And, and you're pleading with them, will you please stop disobeying? Because if you continue then most certainly I will have to increase the consequence in your life. If you will not learn through pleading, then you will have to learn through consequences. We can do this the easy way, <laughs> or we can do this the hard way. But I am tired of having to tell you that you are going to have consequences. You're going to have consequences. You're going to have consequences. And then I relent on the consequences because you cry and moan and tell me that you're, you're never going to do it again. And, and you've learned your lesson. And, and now you're going you're gonna to faithfully love me. You remember how God says, what have I done wrong? How have I fallen short? Why? What, what inadequacy, what insufficiency is there in me that you need more than me, that, that, that you have left me and are going in search of, uh, of other gods that aren't even gods that you form and fashion out of trees and rocks and bow down to them and you have to carry them around? They don't carry you? And you've left me for nothing? for nothing and we we see the broken heart of of God not wanting but there is no other way except through consequences now I'm weary of relenting and I will winnow them with a winnowing fan in the gates of the land I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. How tragic when God says that I will destroy my people. The sickness is too far. Like a patient that has cancer and they open them up to do surgery and they just close them back up again. It's too far. It has spread. There is no way that we can save this life. God is looking at their hearts and is seeing the cancer of their soul and he, he, he says it's gone too far. The cancer is, it's terminal now. And I will destroy my people, this generation, since they do not return 
from their ways. Their widows will be increased to me more than the sand of the seas. I will bring against them, against the mother of the young men, a plunderer at noonday, and I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. He says, I will winnow them, the winnowing fan, harvest time you would take and, and bring the grain in, and then the grain uh, would be ground. They would put it on big millstones, ox would turn them, and, and it would take and, and break the husk. It would break the chaff away from the grain. And then you would have this big giant pile uh, of grain that you had, but all the husks that were that were in it as well, all of the chaff. And so what they would do is, is that they would normally find a, a high hill upon which to then bring and to put the, the grain into a very windy place. And then they would take the grain in shovels and they would throw it up in the air and then all of the chaff would blow and just the heavy kernels would fall back down and you would separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, if you were down in the valley, if you were a place there wasn't a, any wind, then you would use a big fan and they would throw it and they would use the winnowing fan to now fan away, to drive away the chaff. And, and he's saying that my people now, where they were once grain, now they're chaff. The worthless part. And now he will just use a winnowing fan and he will drive them away. He's talking about them going into the Babylonian captivity. And, and when that army comes, they're going to they're gonna attack in noonday, the time that you least expect it. And the widows are going to be increased more than the sand of the seas more than you can even count are the number of men that are going to die in the war, the destruction. The Babylonians will kill the men and take the women into captivity, and, and so the widows are going to be increased now beyond number. She languishes who has borne seven she has breathed her last. Her son has gone down while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded. And the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their enemies, says the Lord. Now remember, seven is the number of completion or fulfillment. And so remember that children are an inheritance from the Lord. So a mother of seven is seen now typologically to, to be the most blessed. That, that speaks of the zenith of, of family gratification that can be experienced. And, and on top of that, she would have seven able-bodied defenders now to keep her safe uh, as well. But, uh, but here we see that, that when the Babylonians uh, come, she will just anguish to see her children destroyed now. Woe is me, my mother, that you have borne me, a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent for interest nor have men lent to me for interest and every one of them curses me. 
as Jeremiah is delivering now the pronouncement of judgment, it breaks his own heart. And he begins now to feel sorry for himself. He begins uh, now overcome by grief uh, and, and the things that God is having him to tell the nation. He, he himself uh, wishes that he had not been born. I wish that I had never even been born. He is going and telling the most unpopular of messages that, the, that, you, can, that you could ever give to a nation. Everybody hates him. What's it like to have everybody hate you? What's it like where every single place you go, they go, oh my goodness, there he is. You know, and they all go the other opposite and direction. There's the guy that's just speaking doom and gloom on every, he's the ultimate doomsayer, saying that everything is gonna get destroyed and that God is gonna judge us. And man, he's just off on his own trip and, and we know that that's not going to happen because we have the temple. So he's just <laughs> lost his mind. And, and here is Jeremiah knowing that he's doing what God has called him to do and everybody hates you. For what? Just obedience to God. Just because you're doing exactly what God has asked you to. He, he says, this is too heavy. I mean, to have the whole nation hate me. God, just because he, he, you picked me. Do you know what? I wish I had never even been born. This is too hard. This is, this is too heavy for me to bear. Everybody curses me. I, I've not done anything wrong. I've not lent for interest. I've not mm, taken and, 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 and had borrowed for interest. And they hate me without a reason. And the Lord said, Surely it will be well with your remnant. And surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in the time of adversity, in the time of affliction. To these very real human sorrows, we see the Lord as a comforting reply. God knows it's not easy. God knows that. Did you know that he knows that? When Jesus said, narrow is the gate and difficult is the path uh, that leads to eternal life, but broad and easy and smooth is the way that leads to destruction. When he says it's narrow and it's difficult and it's hard, he knows that it's hard. He walked it out himself. He got to the Garden of Gethsemane where now with the cross looming before him and the separation that he was going to experience there upon the cross, we, we see Jesus saying, is there any other way than the crucifixion that we can rescue men from their sins? He knows it's hard. Walking with the Lord against the current of the culture, it's not easy. But God never said that it was going to be easy. But what God did say is, is that he will supply your every need as you just keep taking one step in front of the other. And here is Jeremiah going, I don't know if I can keep on going. 
I don't know if I can keep on doing this. And, and the Lord steadies him, ministers to him, encourages him. Haven't you found that to be true in your own life when just you feel like you just can't take it anymore? And Man, you read a verse of the Lord ministers to you or there's a song on the radio, the, the, the right song at the right time, uh, you know, that just kind of ministers to you right at that spot, right at that point of need in, in your life. God, God's saying, I've got you. I will help you. It's okay. You're going to make it. I'm leading you home. And one day you are going to stand in those gates. And you are going to be welcomed into my presence. And you are going to hear the words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom and receive your reward. For now, trials and tribulations. Paul writes the trials and tribulations that, that he went through, the shipwreck, the stoning, the, the hardships. He, he, he was beaten by the Jews and uh, you know, he was cast out of all the synagogues wherever he went to bring them good news. <laughs> and what would Paul say? He said, you know, the, these present afflictions aren't even worthy to be mentioned compared to the glory that's waiting for you the glory that is waiting for you. And, and when we start to, to, to get overwhelmed with, with the present, then normally I find the best solution is to look up. Look at where you're going. Look at the glory that's waiting. We start to get our eyes focused downward here where it is going to be difficult. We are going to have hard seasons and hard times, but, but that's not the end of the story. Look to the end of the story. And, and so when, when Jeremiah is looking at the present and the past, he, he says, you know, I regret the day that I was born. You can't look much further past than the day that you were born. You know, that, that's all the way to, to the beginning of your life. And, and what does God do? God encourages him. God encourages him. He says to him, surely it will be well with your remnant. And surely I will cause the, the enemy to intercede with you in the time of adversity. We see that God is answering and, and assuring Jeremiah of vindication. He is assuring Jeremiah that, that he is not going to falter and fail, that, that it will come to pass, that, that he will continue. That we see the fulfillment of this is going to come later on. Those who had been his enemies are going to come to Jeremiah in the end, and they're going to plead with him when the time of distress finally arrives. And, and we see that, uh, that King Zedekiah is going to call for Jeremiah when the Babylonians are uh, presenting their threat. The Lord doesn't promise that it's an easy life. But he does absolutely assure us that he will give us the strength necessary to endure. His mercies are new when? Every morning. They're new every single morning. God is going to give you enough grace for you to be able to handle the trials of today. Amen? And he'll faithfully do it. 
He'll set out your manna every single day, one day at a time. I've often thought about that. Manna, the way that God made them dependent to rise up and go out and to collect manna every single day. And that, that manna was the, the bread of life. It was everything that they would need to be sustained. Jesus would say that man does not live by what? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that there is a spiritual sustenance that, that is more important to even than the physical food that we would partake of. That's the grace that God gives you every single morning when you wake up. Some days are small grace days. You're only going to need a little bit of grace today. Woohoo! I like those days. <laughs> That's a good day. Yeah. Then he says, here's a, here's a lot of grace for today. You're like, oh no, here it comes. But you got the provision for it. He doesn't give it to us a week at a time. He doesn't give us a week's worth of grace. Wouldn't it be nice if you come to worship on Sunday, you get your week worth of grace, and then you, you, know, you, got, you got your week worth of grace. And, and I realize that I think I know why he doesn't give it to us a week at a time. Because we would use it all in one day and then we wouldn't have anything for the rest uh, of the week. It's so valuable and precious that he's got to just portion it out to us one, one day at a time. This is all the grace that you get for today. And tomorrow, come see me. I'll give you the grace that you, you need for tomorrow. It's not going to be easy. It is going to be worthwhile. It's going to be the richest, most glorious life that you can possibly ever live as one connected to God, grace dependent on a daily basis, uh, walking in the spirit, bringing glory to God. Jeremiah, you can do it. The whole nation is against you. You can do it. I've made you a bronze wall. I have made you a pillar of iron. You, you can do it, Jeremiah. Everybody hates me for no reason. You can do it, Jeremiah. <laughs> Keep on going. God never asks you to do anything greater than he strengthens your capacity to achieve it. He never asks you to do anything that you will fail at. I'm going to repeat that. God never asks you to do anything that you have to fail at. No task is beyond his capacity to empower you to victory. God's made you to be an overcomer. He has made you to be victorious. And if you're not finding victory in your life, it's it's because you're doing it in your own strength. You're doing it without the provision of grace that God is making available to you. And, and so here we see the, the Lord now is encouraging Jeremiah here. Can anyone break iron, verse 12, the northern iron and the bronze? Your wealth and your treasures I will give as plunder without price because of all your sins throughout your territories. I love this, you know. It's like, it's like you know, when you're playing baseball or anything, you, you know, you're young and you, you get a cut and you come and you're crying and it's like, oh, okay, let's get a Band-Aid on that and back in the game you go, you know. I mean, it's like, now get right back out there again. You're okay, you're good, you're not gonna die. Rub some dirt in it. <laughs> That's what God does here, right? I mean, he's like, oh, Jeremiah, you're, gonna, you, you know, you're not going to relent. You're going to be victorious. You're going to vindicate. And then right back into the judgment, you know, I mean, without even skipping a beat, without even missing a breath here, he says in, in verse 14, and I will make you cross over with your enemies into a land which you do not know. 
for a fire is kindled in my anger, which shall burn upon you. And so God's giving Jeremiah the message, and Jeremiah's like, I don't know if I can handle this. And he, you know, he encourages him for, you know, a verse and then goes right back to continuing because why? Because God has a message, and the message that he's gotten is you have departed from me. And you have turned away from my love. Oh, Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, do not take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. So here we see that, you know, that Jeremiah laments and then God encourages him and goes right back to his judgments. And then Jeremiah goes right back to complaining again, you know, goes right back to now on the track. It's like they're having two different conversations that are going on here. And, and he says, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance uh, for me on my persecutors. He's just said, I'm being hated for no cause. Lord, would, would you go and smite them, you know? For me, it's like, you know, James and John, the sons of thunder, and they're like, call fire down on them, you know, Jesus. And, you know, he's, he's wanting to be vindicated. He wants to be right. Have you ever wanted to be right? Have you ever been right and the other person doesn't know you're right and you're like, God, they're wrong, I'm right. I want you to let them know that I'm right. And, you know, and, and here's, here's Jeremiah. You know, the whole nation is saying, Jeremiah, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. He's like, I'm right, I'm right. God, would you tell them that I'm the one that's right? Though everybody be against you. If God be for you, who can stand against you? And here is Jeremiah against the whole nation. <laughs> and he, he now, he's tired of being made fun of and laughed at and being called the idiot and being called the false prophet when he knows, tragically he knows, that he's right. He would love to be wrong. He would love to be wrong. He's asking God to be wrong. He's asking God to change his mind. God says, stop asking me. You just keep telling them what I'm telling. And now Jeremiah's like, can, then God, would you vindicate me here? God, I just want you to know this, that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. I've suffered rebuke from everybody. Do you know why? Just because I love you. Just because I'm doing what you, you've told me to do. I am suffering down here at rebuke. Your words were found and I, I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Is there anything sweeter than honey on the honeycomb? Your, your word is like honey on my lips. I love your word, Lord. I love your word. It causes me to rejoice in, in my heart. And I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. We see here that, that Jeremiah loves the word of the Lord that came to him. And you remember how uh, the Lord touched his lips to put his words in Jeremiah's mouth. And, and so he says, and I am called by your name. I, I became a prophet by your authority. I didn't 
you touched me. You called me. And now I am called by your name. Do you realize that that's who you are? Do you realize that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're now called by his name? You're one of those born-again what? <laughs> Christians there, aren't you? Yes, I am. Actually, I most certainly am. And I would that you would be also. We're called by his name. We're identified now by his name. Jeremiah says, I'm a, I'm a man of God. I'm, I'm identified by your name. Not my name any longer. It's not Jeremiah. It's prophet of God. It's man of God. And that's who we are, men and women of God. Men and women of the word. Men and women of the, of the Lord. We've been given a new name that only God knows. Do you realize that your real name, you don't even know what your real name is? Your parents gave you a, a, just a holding place of a name. That's just your holding place of your name. But God has a new name that only he knows that. When he created you and he made you and put you together and knitted you, he gave you a name and you're gonna discover that name. How awesome how amazing but here we are known by God's name we're Christians he says in verse 17 he's still you know talking about how difficult it is serving God and all that he has had to give up in order to be obedient to God he, he says I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers nor did I rejoice I sat alone because of your hand. Your hand was upon me. You see, he's sanctified. He's set apart. He's not running with the world. He's not running in the dissipation of the flesh. And so, by your hand, I, I sat alone because of your hand. For you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual? It's like a, a nightmare. He's like having the worst high school experience you could ever have, and then he can't graduate. <laughs> it's like, it just doesn't end. I'm just, you know, I just want to get out and move on, and it just keeps going on and on and on. I am suffering. I am in perpetual pain down here. And in my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed. What's his wound? He's brokenhearted. He's brokenhearted over the nation that he loves and what God has showed him is going to come to pass. And then he's brokenhearted at the way that everybody hates him, the way that he's alone, the way that he doesn't have any friends, nobody to support him and to encourage him. He has a wound that won't heal. Will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that mm, fail? We see that, that he asks, will you surely be like an unreliable mm, stream? There were wadis, which were depressions in the ground, and then when it would rain, it would fill, and then it would look like it's a lake. 
but then it just evaporates and it's gone and it's unreliable water. There isn't a spring source underneath it. Are, are you just an unreliable water stream? Are you able to keep me safe, to protect me and, and to defend me? And, and, and we see here that, that the Lord allows the prophet to vent his frustrations. I want you to know that God invites you to vent your frustrations. He can take your frustrations, but now he asks if the Lord is reliable. And now he's offended the Lord. There's a difference between venting your frustration and now complaining against God. Complaining against what God's will is for your life. And so here we see that where God encouraged him, now we see that Jeremiah has crossed the line. Asking God if he's faithful to fulfill what he has said he will do. And so the Lord responds, and therefore thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back and you shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vial, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. We see that God rebukes Jeremiah for his self-pity here. And now that he has accused God, Jeremiah needs to repent if he's going to continue to serve God. You see, God sanctified his mouth to speak words of life. And now Jeremiah has taken that mouth and and he has now used it to doubt in God. And, and so he tells him to repent. He says, if you take out the precious from the vial. Now, that's a reference in the original language. It's talking about smelting and purifying. And you have the dross. And then you take the precious out of the dross. God had put precious words into Jeremiah's mouth. And now he's filling his mouth with dross. And he's like, you've got to separate the dross from from the precious metal that I have put, from the truth that I have put into your mouth. If you're going to serve me, then that has to happen. He says, and then you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. To be God's spokesman, you have to utter worthy, not worthless words. And if someone was to move, it was to be the people and not Jeremiah. He was to remain steadfast before God so the people would turn to him. Don't water down your message. Don't try and start entertaining them. Don't become politically correct. Do not sit there and and become like them. Do not move towards them. You stay firm and fixed on the truth and on the word of God and let them be turned by the truth. Do not compromise it, Jeremiah. Just because you want people to like you or to accept you or to be nice to you because you're tired of being lonely and you stay strong. You're a man of God. You stay strong. You're a woman of God. Stay strong. God is with you. God is for you. And God will help you. And God is able. Amen? And so, and I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall. And they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. Isn't that the ultimate 
good news, bad news? <laughs> I got bad news. They're going to fight against you. I've got good news. You're going to win. You're going to win. Why? For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. Jesus said the exact same thing. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never depart from you. I will always be there to help you. Know that. Receive that today. Stand in that. Be girded up with the strength of the presence of God. I don't care what you're going through. Be girded up in the strength, knowing that God loves you, that he's with you, that he's for you, and that he has given you grace each and every day to live out the day. You might be going through a heavy grace stretch right now, but know who's supplying that heavy dose of grace for you so that you can be victorious. You can make it. He says to Jeremiah, and hear the same spirit of God speak to you today. You can make it. You can overcome. You can be victorious. Why? For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. And I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. Is there any wickedness in our world today? I don't know if it's a hand. It's more like a fist now, you know. It's a hand that's closed. But he says, I will deliver you from that hand of wickedness. And I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. Chapter 16. Don't everybody check your watches all at once. We'll be quick with this chapter here. You're like, chapter 16, did you see? Look at this. Does he not know what time it is? I do know what time it is. It's time to go fast. <laughs> That's what time it is uh, here. Chapter 16, verse 1. The word of the Lord came also to me saying, <laughs> you shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. That wasn't the will for Jeremiah. And you think, oh, how tragic that is. I mean, look it, he's not even given the comfort of a wife or children. But sometimes God's subtractions are God's blessings in our life. He's going to recount what's going to happen to the wives and the children when the Babylonian soldiers come in. And he doesn't want Jeremiah to experience that. He says, for thus says the Lord concerning the sons and the daughters who are born in this place and concerning their mothers who bore them and their fathers who begot them in this land, they shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine and their corpses shall be meat for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. And here we see that Jeremiah is like, you know, in his heart. Don't, don't I get the same pleasures of everybody else? And, and God says, I'm sparing you what looks like a pleasure right now. For thus says the Lord, do not enter the house of mourning, nor go to lament or bemoan them. For I have taken away my peace from this people, says the Lord. Loving kindness and mercies, both the great and the small, shall die in the land. And they shall not be buried, neither shall men lament for them cut themselves nor make themselves bald for them. There, there will not be the, the normal emotion of grief and sorrow of 
putting somebody to rest and burying them. Nor shall men break bread in the morning for them to comfort them for the dead. Nor shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their father or their mother. And also, you shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and and to drink. The purpose of the prohibition now was to indicate that the times of feasting and happiness would cease. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will cause to cease from this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. And it shall be when you show this people all these words and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us or what is our iniquity or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our our God? Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. They have walked after other gods and have served them and worshiped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. Can you imagine? You're going to be destroyed because of the actions of your fathers who did not worship and did not obey me but went after false gods and they're like, that is so unfair. Until you get to the next line. And you have done worse than your fathers. You have done worse than your fathers. For behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. And therefore I will cast you out of this land and into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers. And there you shall serve other gods day and night where I will not show you favor. The Babylonians will become their lords. He says, I was your Lord. I was generous and gracious and compassionate and kind and loving to you. And you would not serve me. But you will go and and serve the Babylonians. And they will not be gracious and kind and merciful and generous and long-suffering and patient with you. And therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said. The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. That was the tremendous declaration that went out. You do not want to mess with the nation of Israel because (laughs) their God, I'm just going to tell you right now, took out the Egyptian army, all the chariots, the entire army. You don't want to mess. You don't want to mess with that people right there. They have a mighty God. The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. No longer are they going to be saying that, but the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them, for I will bring them back into their land which I gave to their fathers. No longer is it going to be said that I took the children of Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the land, that's not going to be the declaration. The declaration is going to be as I took my people back from the Babylonians and put them back into their land. The next generation that would return weren't the ones that came out of Egypt. They were the ones that were taken out of Babylon. 
And so a new reputation. God is doing what? He's promising them judgment, but he's promising them a future on the other side of judgment. He's not cutting them off. They're not forever and done. They are going to have a future and a hope, and, and God is going to have a new reputation. And behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. We see that God now pictures the Babylonian invaders as fishermen and, and then also as uh, hunters. And For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. Our iniquity is not hidden from the Lord. And so, God sees, God knows. God forgives. And first I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin because they have defiled my land and they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. And, o Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? We see that Jeremiah affirms his trust in God as, as his fortress, his strength, and his refuge. And therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. And they shall know that my name is the Lord. And so we see that they will admit their former objects of worship were nothing at all but false gods. And, and so we see now the that God is declaring that, that he is going to cause them to know that their objects of false worship were nothing but idols, that he is the true and the living God who will defend and will protect and will keep his hand upon us even when everyone else is against us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and God, we ask that you would just minister to each and every one of us. And Lord, that you would meet us right where we are. And, and Father, if, if we are feeling like, like we don't have it in, in us, like we are tired and weary, then Lord, would you refresh us and would you strengthen us and would you help us to get our eyes lifted up? Would you help us to receive the grace that you have each and every day for the day that is at hand. And Lord, we are reminded that we are called by your name, that we are in Christians. May we let our light shine. May we be in salt in the world. May we love you and love one another. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.